we live in a world that pushes us towards division. We live in a world, I'm going to prove this to you. I'm going to prove it to you. So, uh, so there's been there's this picture circulated in 2015, and it created a lot of division. So let's, let's look at this picture. Um, this is a white and gold dress. This is a white and gold dress. Now, half of you in the room right now are like, no, it's not. No, it's not. I disagree with you. I promise you this is a white and gold dress. Now, for those of you who agree with me, who are in the right category, uh, for those of you who agree with me, what you don't know that other people see is a blue and black dress. So who sees the blue and black dress? And yeah, you're all wrong. I was, I'm the only one. Am I the only one who sees white and gold? Okay, I must be the only one who's right. So, so, uh, so this picture put friendships on pause in 2015, right? Like, because we saw with clarity, those who are with white, you know, who see a white and gold dress, we see it with clarity. That is obviously a white and gold dress. And the rest of you crazy people who see a blue and black dress, you see with clarity that that is a blue and black dress. And then you get this contention over something like really stupid. Now, this is kind of comedic, right? But, but it's really easy in this world to find things for us to divide over. It's really easy for us to find things to to fight about. Like we live in a world that pushes us towards division. So like what kind of divisions? Well, first of all, there are very like natural barriers that for some reason human beings have decided it is worth dividing over these things. Natural barriers like skin color, like natural differences, skin color, language is a natural difference that kind of just comes from the place that we were raised, but, but we find these things to be things to divide over. Gender, these things become things that we divide over. Those are very natural. There's another realm of barriers, which are kind of like social barriers, like uh, wealth, status, power, stuff. Like these things can become things that human beings, we divide over. We choose to to fight and quarrel with each other over these things. There's actually like a third category of things that we divide over. We divide over like ideas, barriers around ideas, differences in ideas. Ideas about politics, like that's not relevant for right now, is it? We have an election coming up. Uh, Ideas about the coronavirus, like how much division have you watched? Like if form of social media, how much division have you watched arise on your social media feed because of the coronavirus, because uh, what, like what we do with our masks and what we don't do with our masks, uh, so the kinds of words that you use, like, uh, you know, like there's talk of like politically correct language and politically incorrect language, but if you use the politically correct language, we're going to attack you for that, because that's not my version of politically correct, and so, right, like we get into all of these categories where we find so easily things to divide over. And this is not something that is like far from us. Like, in fact, you may have had the thought, how could this person support blank presidential congressional candidate if you're really seeking the good of our country? How could you possibly support that person if you're really seeking the good of our country? How can you advocate for or against gun control if you're really interested in the good of our country? How can you require... Okay, so I come from southern Illinois, which is very different than up here. Um, And 
it's very easy for us. Like somebody says, put a mask on. We're like, okay, we'll put our mask on. We're very compliant people now. Um, no, but seriously, seriously, it's very easy. We're like, you know, we're used to this. Like we're used to the regulations. Okay, we'll, we'll put a mask on. The place where I come from, you cannot tell somebody to put a mask on if they walk into your establishment. You cannot, so like whether you require or not require masks, even down in Southern Illinois, is a big deal. My brother, he like uh, runs this wedding uh, site, this place where they do receptions and that kind of stuff, and he's like, I can't tell people to put masks on because like they will get mad at me and never frequent my establishment again, right? Like that's the, that's the reality that you're dealing with right now. And, and so... It's not all that hard for us to find things to divide over. Okay, so we're in the middle of a series on vision. What is the vision for this church? Where is this church going? How are we going to get there? That kind of stuff. So we've talked about our purpose statement together. Our purpose is this. We are working together to restore hope to all people. And then we said we have a particular strategy by which we do that. Our strategy is we develop Jesus followers who worship, love, and connect. So two weeks ago, we actually dug into that purpose, and, and that purpose highlights a desperate need that we had. We were people who were without hope, but now that hope for us has been restored, and now we actually get to participate in bringing hope to the world around us, this world that we ha- inhabit. We get to participate in bringing light into darkness. How do we do it? Well, we do it the way that Jesus did it. Jesus called people to follow him. And so what do we do? Well, we call people, to how, the way we restore hope is we call people to follow Jesus. So we have these three words, worship, love, and connect. They help us to simplify what it means to follow Jesus. Last week, we looked at worship. This week, we're looking at what it means to develop Jesus followers who love. We're focusing on love this morning. So uh, why love? Why do we focus on love? Uh, well, Jesus, actually, it seems like he talked about it a little bit. Uh, Jesus actually cared a lot about love. He thought that it should maybe, so, so because Jesus talked about it so much, our elders, we were meeting and we were talking, and you're like, you know, we should probably have love somewhere in this thing, right? Uh, so, so one of Jesus' primary concerns for his followers is that they would love each other. Like there's so, something so problematic about the contentions of this world, the divisions of this world, that Jesus knew if these people can show love to each other, there will be something compelling about that. So, um, so the problem is, if we actually, like if we live in a world that is shaping us to be so divisive, how is it even possible that people would love each other? That we would like be people who consistently love each other. We come from a variety of backgrounds here. People who like country music, people who don't like country music. We, we come from, we have so many things, right, that we could choose to divide over. So how is love possible? And this is the question that I want us to walk with this morning as we go through the passage. How is love possible in a world that promotes division? How is love possible in a world that promotes division? So number one in your notes, I ask a question, and the question is this, what causes division? So Ephesians 2, 11, and 12 says this. In verse 11, it says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Paul is walking into this incredibly awkward and also really, really contentious discussion in the church. 
There are like very few, very few things that people would divide over in this world, but like they highlight this thing more than anything else. So that Jewish people, actually like the way they identified people who were not Jews, you're uncircumcised, right? Like you are out of the fold. You are outside. You are different. And therefore, like they actually, like we, you're less than, right? You're less than. And then you have, you have Greek people. Greek people prided themselves on being people of culture. These are the Gentiles, right? People who had uh, their act together, people who really knew uh, the, the good life, what things were supposed to look like. They prided themselves on these things, and you have these like cultural backgrounds where these groups dislike each other. They don't just dislike each other. They cannot figure out, like, they're, they're going to church together, and they don't get along, and you know, like, if you don't get along with the people in your church in that day, you can't go five minutes down the street to a different church. Like, this is the only church that there is. They kind of have to figure this out, and so, so they have these contentions with each other because they don't match in these, um, uh, these cultural identifying factors. So, so um, these Jewish roots that we're talking about, uh, thousands, as we've like, watched Jesus work, as we get to even where we are at this point in history that we're examining, uh, G- Christ, when it talks about Jesus Christ, that's the Messiah, which means our religion, Christianity, has Jewish roots to it. And, and so there is like this very Jewish nature of this Messiah that we follow. And at the same time, What was happening in the history of the church at this point? Thousands, thousands of Gentiles, people from other nations, people who were not Jews, were coming to trust in Jesus. And so now the Jews have a problem because these Gentiles, they are not Jews, right? And so for a Jew, what's most important to a Jew is like we have to identify as a Jewish people. We are a specific nation. We are a specific people, And so they have these things that they highlight that these Jewish people call most important to them, these cultural identifying factors that that set them apart. And so let's talk about what builds division. Division is built on differing and often false beliefs about what is most important. Division is built on differing and often false beliefs about what is most important. So, So these Jews have highlighted circumcision, this cultural identifying factor for them as the most important thing, and have gone to all the Gentiles and said, okay, you might be a part of this faith now, but you're not really a part of it until you identify fully with our culture. You have to fully leave your culture behind and come and join our culture. So, so uh, it says, therefore, at the very beginning of verse 11, what is it therefore? Well, it's there because he has just talked about how they have been saved by grace, through faith, and that not of themselves. This is like he is, their world has been radically rocked by Jesus. They were dead in their sins, in their trespasses, but Jesus made them alive. He says, therefore, you've been saved. And, and so there's a result of that salvation for these people. Uh, this most important thing about them has changed. Their identity is now saved by grace through faith. So, so remember, there, there used to be this division and contention that existed, but now what he's trying to do is he's trying to set up a different identity for them that is most important, most important. So verse 12, he says, remember 
that you were, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. He's saying, you Gentiles, you were far off. And, and Paul is speaking as a Jew. He's saying, you were far away. We could not be united. You were separated from Christ. You were separated from the things of God. You didn't even know who the real God was. You had no hope. So, uh, so you pri- he's saying, you Gentiles, you prioritize what you wanted. You made most important what you wanted. And, and among the Gentiles, you have differing views of what is most important. And for the Jews, you have the, the most important thing being Jewish heritage, Jewish law, Jewish practices, Jewish cultural identity is most important. You come from these backgrounds, you Jews and you Gentiles. You come from these backgrounds with all of these differing beliefs about what is most important. So, so what was happening is the Jews were now coming to the Gentiles and they demanded that these Gentiles adopt all of their cultural heritage and this led to vitriol in the, the Ephesian church. They were fighting with each other all the time. They could not get along with each other. They could not figure out how to make this thing work together. And so, so how do you bring people from these two camps? where their cultural identity is so important. In fact, it's most important to them. But you have to figure out how to get them to come together, to get them to love each other like Jesus wanted, right? So number two in your notes, for healing to begin, reality must shift. So verse 13 says this, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. So, so he's setting this up as if he is a Jew talking to Gentiles, which is true. But, but he, at the same time, is kind of letting uh, Jews see his logic for the Gentiles, right? So, so he's talking to the Gentiles and he's saying, hey, you are far off, but you've been brought near. But at the same time, he's saying, hey, Jews, they were far off, but now they've been brought near. So those Gentiles who used to be far away now they're a part of God's family. It's not just you that's in God's family now. Now they are a part of God's family too. And, and how did that happen? Well, it didn't happen because uh, they somehow became circumcised. It didn't happen because they somehow adopted your cultural practices. It didn't happen because they matched all of your preferences. It didn't happen because of any of that. It happened because of one thing, the blood of Christ. That's what brought them together. So verse 14, it says, He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commands expressed in ordinances. ordinances. So when it says peace, when we think of peace, we think the absence of conflict. Conflict is gone and everything is right in the world. Uh, when the Bible uses the word peace, it actually uses it in a positive manner. So, so peace is not only the absence of conflict, but, but when you're talking about peace in a relational context, it is a place of relational flourishing. So, so it's not just that you don't have any sort of contention with the people around you, but it's that you actually feel like, like you are in these relationships that are flourishing together. These are life-giving relationships. The relationships that we have with each other as the body of Christ now become these things that we don't just avoid conflict, but we love these relationships. 
and good things happen because of them. So before, this was impossible. But now, Christ somehow makes relational flourishing possible. So, so how does this happen? So how many of you have a fence in your backyard? Uh, okay, good. We have fences in the room. That's, that's, that's important. Why do we build fences? I've been thinking about this myself because um, I have a daughter who runs all over the place and has no concept of uh, property boundaries or anything like that. And it's exhausting sometimes to take her outside because I'm having to chase her like around to the front yard and then her back around to the backyard and then she wants to go in the garage to the car. And I, like I've been thinking, I don't want to build a fence, but, but I need to do something to keep my like family safe, right? Like, and I'm not, I'm not in any place where I want to build a fence, hear me. But the thought has crossed my mind, why? Well, because it's a way that we keep ourselves safe. It's a way that we, we, we can tell what's in to stay in and we can tell what's out to stay out, right? Like this is what fences do. We build fences around what we believe to be vulnerable. That's what we do. And so Jews, their cultural identity to them was very vulnerable, especially as you start letting these other cultures in. This was their religion, but now we're bringing other cultures into this religion. And, and, and they turned, so what they did is that they turned the law into a means of hostility, a means of requirement. The law distinguished Jews, and so they, they intensified the law and became hostile about the law. And so this dividing wall of hostility is actually even a reference. So there, there was this, uh, in the Jerusalem temple, this wall that divided something called the court of the Gentiles from the court of the Jews. And if you were a Gentile, you could not go into the court of the Jews. They had to to remain separated. So this reference to the dividing wall of hostility, it's kind of like a metaphor. It's like you are building fences. And now, like, that was was one piece, but, but every time, every time there is kind of a cultural identifying factor, the Jews took it and intensified it, the, Jude, the Jews of this day, to say, we're the ones who are in and you're the ones who are out, right? And so this dividing wall of hostility becomes a metaphor for the ways that they were relating to each other. So all of these, like if you want to follow the Jewish religion, you must culturally become a Jew. Uh, Paul says that those cultural requirements are no longer imposed upon God's people. But now, the only requirement is this, that you follow Jesus. That's it. So we don't impose certain cultural requirements. It's just you follow Jesus. All of that now, he says, has been demolished. That dividing wall, it's like somebody took a wrecking ball to that dividing wall in the, between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the Jews, and now it's one people. So he goes on and says that. He says he, he abolished it so that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile, bring together us both to God in one body, thereby killing the hostility. So now Christ has come, and, and he's actually made it possible for people who naturally divide to be united. How does he do this? He gets all of those people to recognize. We identify with Christ, and what did Christ do? Christ went to the cross and died. And in him died everything inside of us 
that would cause us to be hostile towards each other. So that on the cross, when Jesus goes up there, along with him dies every sinful motivation and sinful inclination that would cause us to say, this is most important to us because now our identification with Christ becomes most important with us. Now the dividing wall is broken and the hostility is destroyed at the cross. And he says, by killing the hostility. Killing is a really hostile word, right? It's ironic that he would say it like that. His point is, the only thing that there is now hostility towards is all of the things that you make most important instead of Christ. So now there's this like cosmic shift. Because before, your identity, your association, your allegiance was in any source of things. It could have been in political ideas. It could have been in uh, your cultural identity. It could have been in how much stuff that you had. There are any host of things that could have been most important to you. But now there is a cosmic shift because when you come to Jesus, what becomes most important about you in that moment is your identification with the, 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 the Christ who lived and died and now is risen. So, uh, so his death is our death. And then his life becomes our life. When he died, so did the hostility. So if you heard, uh, I'm sure many of you have heard of a missionary. His name was Jim Elliott, Jim and Elizabeth Elliott. Uh, and if you haven't heard, let me just kind of tell you a, a bit of his story. So, so Jim and Elizabeth, uh, they, were, they, they go with this missionary crew to share the gospel in Ecuador. And um, after weeks of making inroads and trying to build relationships with these people, a, a group of men uh, decide that they can actually, like, they have a chance to go into this village. And, uh, and, and the name of the tribe is the Auka tribe. The Auka tribe, they're going to make a way into, their, uh, into this village, and they've been building relationships. But one of the people that they've been building relationships with has lied to the tribe about the intention of these people. And so when they prepare to go into the village, they are not greeted with people who are welcoming them. They are greeted with a war party. A a group of warriors come out to meet them, and actually what happened is these warriors from the Awuka tribe, they murdered all of these these men who went to go into the village. So so, uh, Elizabeth and Rachel, wives of, of these men, they remain. And they're still, still in this country, in Ecuador. They're still close to this tribe. And so what do they do? Well, they continue learning the language of these people. They decide, if our husbands were willing to die for this, um, why would we not stay and seek to see the gospel come to these people? And eventually, they were able to build inroads. They were able to build inroads, and so she goes and she shares Jesus with this tribe that was responsible for her husband's death, including the warrior who killed two of the men. She goes and, and she shares the gospel, and this man becomes a Christian. These people become Christians. They believe in the crucified and risen Christ, and many of these awuka turn to Jesus. And so now Elizabeth and Rachel, who are both wives of men slayed by these people, Now start treating these people like family. Now start sharing life with these people because they have been united together in Jesus Christ. So after receiving Christ, the tribe actually renamed itself the Waroni tribe because they turned from their Awuka roots. The word Awuka literally means 
savage. They, that's how they identified themselves. We are savages, and they changed their name so that they might have a more welcoming name. This is a powerful message of the transformation of Jesus even coming into this culture. And now they're able to be united with these women whose husbands were killed by these very same people. It's a testimony of the forgiveness of Christ, but not only that, it's a testimony of the unity that transcends every other identity when we come together in Jesus Christ. So verse 17. He came. That's Christ. And he preached peace. He preached the possibility of relational flourishing between people and between God to you, Gentiles who were far off, and to you, Jews who were near. All of you. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now we're united by something else. When we trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. And the thing that identifies us, that sets us apart, is His Spirit in us. Bound together by the Spirit, we become united as a new family. So, number three in your notes, we have a better foundation. Verse 19 says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So before we had other foundations, we had other things that we looked to, we had other things that we made most important. We had political goals, career advancements, ethnic pride, status pride, wealth, ownership. All of these things became most important to us. But now every single one, if most important, like each of them would push us towards division, but Christ has come and offered us a new foundation, a new thing to become most important, he himself. And so, church, we are built on what God says is most important. Not what any human says is most important, but what God has identified as most important. Now we have the apostles' teaching grounded in the law of love which Jesus established, love of God and love of neighbor. Jesus in his words, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection become foundational for us now. So verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So church, where there is division here, in this place, among us, there is bound to be, among one or multiple parties, misplaced priorities. There is bound to be misplaced priorities. But, and especially as, as, as things in our current world and current circumstance become increasingly contentious, What we have to do here is that we have to fight to keep Christ primary, to keep Christ the foundation and nothing else. So so how can Jesus followers, people from different backgrounds, and there there are a ton of backgrounds represented in this room, a ton of different uh, family situations that we came up in, a, a ton of different statuses even represented in this room. 
But how can Jesus followers, these people from different backgrounds, actually overcome division? This is how. We pursue unity on the most firm foundation. We pursue unity on the most firm foundation. That doesn't just mean that like we don't, we, like we just spend our time not being divided with each other. It means that what we do is we actually push past, we pursue, we push past our differences. We pursue each other to build relational flourishing, to build shalom, to build God's peace into our relationships. And and we do so because what is most important to us is not any of those prior background things. What is most important to us is Christ and his law of love. That becomes the foundation for our lives. That, that, That becomes what is most true about us. So if that's the case, then so what? So what? There are a bunch of implications now. If this is what Jesus has done for us, like that means that we actually like, we have to do something to pursue unity with each other. So what do we do? Number one, we find ways to share life together. We find ways to share life together. This is why we do things like men's and women's Bible studies. We do community groups. We do different small groups and that that kind of stuff. The reason we do all of that, and we have a few, and we're always looking to start more and kind of refine the ways that we do these things. But the reason why we do this is it creates spaces outside of Sunday morning for us to invest in relationship with each other. Right, so, so we have like a women's Bible study. We have a men's Bible study that meets online on Monday nights. We have the joy of being able to share in scripture, but not just scripture, to see where we're at in our lives. We have uh, young adult small groups at the Romano's houses on Tuesday and Thursday nights. Like we, we have all of these uh, systems and structures. They're built to create spaces where we can relate to each other around scripture and be reminded of what is grounding us as our foundation. So share life together. Number two, serve together. So, so when we serve together, we actually learn to put unity into practice. You know why? Because you have to work with somebody who might not do things the way that you do things. And, and as you do that, you have to learn kind of how we can work together. Now, if your identity is in how you do things, and it's not in Christ, or if you're, if you're making that most important, then, then that can be really dangerous for the relationship. But when we serve together, we're called to practice making Christ the most important thing about us. So we learn to work together with people that we might not typically work with. We learn to work together and serve together. Uh, we learn to kind of uh, cooperate with people that we don't na- naturally mesh with from a personality standpoint. And you know what? In any other circumstance, you might be inclined to give up on those people. You might be inclined to walk away from that opportunity. But here, like something greater than personal preference and personality unites us. And so so we seize opportunities to serve with each other and to serve one another as they become available. That's another thing that we do here. If you want to figure out what it means to step up into serving, you can talk to me, uh, Nick Pofferl, who is not in the room right now, but you can also talk to him. Uh, his head is poking out back there in the, <laughs> in the hallway. Uh, you can talk to him. Uh, Nick and I, uh, we're working together to, to even kind of uh, develop some structures for how we serve in the different places uh, in this church. So, so serve together. Number three. Number three, I want to encourage you, church, to strive to show each other honor. 
So, so community groups serving, these are kind of like organized, quote, organized places where we uh, invest in relationship with each other. But you know what? There's an element of our Christian love for each other that is also organic, that, that just comes, uh, meaning like we don't wait for it to happen. Like, I mean, like individuals in our church, like we pursue relationships with each other. We have lunch with each other. We have people over for dinner together. We go out, like we write notes to each other. We intentionally seek ways to encourage each other, to show our appreciation. Like, and I just imagine, like if each person in this room had one, just one intentional action a week that you did to, sh- to, to intentionally love somebody else in this church, to intentionally show love, to show honor to somebody else. I wonder what that would do for the strength of this body. So, so strive to show each other honor. So, so along those lines, we have some very special people that we particularly want to extend honor towards this morning. They're such a, a special piece of this church and... and and they will be missed a lot. So, um, so I'm going to have them come up. The Malusnitches, if you guys, you guys can come up and stand right here. And, uh, and what's going to happen is that uh, once they get up here, they're, they're going to share some words with all of you. And then after they share some words, we're going to pray for them. And, uh, and so I'm going to invite Nick up as well. Nick, come on up. Uh, after they share with us, we're going to pray for them together. I'll have Don, Debbie, and Nick pray. So you guys go ahead.